From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back once more. Thanks for coming on back to the Cannabis Podcast. If this is your first time, well, an even warmer welcome for you. You're going to spend the next 30 minutes or so immersed in a bunch of information about cannabis. In fact, here's what we got lined up for today. Guess what? It is harvest time. Certainly for many outgrowers here in BC, it is. And there's one in particular that is harvesting 60 acres of cannabis. We're going to look at that story, thanks to our friends at the Okanagan Z. Uh, I also have another listener-inspired conversation for you today. You're going to meet Mike Timms. Mike is the production supervisor for Premium 5 Concentrates, and he will give us a peek behind the production curtain, see what it's like for the LPs in producing all of this cannabis and all these other products for us. Plus, I thought it was time for another flashback, so we're going to go back to a time when I will demonstrate how cannabis had an impact on me even when I was on my lunch break. All of that and more is coming your way on episode 55 of the Cannabis Podcast. First of all, let's get to the harvest. Now, I will tease that uh, I will be talking about my personal harvest sometime in the future. It will all be, it will all make a lot more sense when I actually talk about it, but I have had a crop this year, uh, quite a successful crop, and we'll talk about that, but that's not the crop I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a story that, again, I thank my friend David Wiley at the Okanagan Z uh, for covering this, and in fact, I just heard it covered on our local radio as well. Uh, Speakeasy is the company's name. Uh, they are in Rock Creek, and they are now harvesting one of Canada's biggest outdoor crops, 60 acres of plants, 60 acres of tall, stinky, and individually potted plants. I am absolutely thrilled to have started the harvest of our outdoor grows, says founder Mark Keen. It's been a long road, and I'm happy to report the quality of the bud has exceeded all my expectations. The Gein family has been actively farming the Okanagan for five generations, and is also known for its significant involvement in the iconic Okanagan brand, Sunripe. The cannabis harvest started on September 21st and is expected to last for a few weeks. Located in boundary country at the southern end of Highway 33, Speakeasy is in a perfect spot to grow cannabis. And the conditions this summer were excellent, says the founder. Bud from the grow will be sold as flour, pre-rolls, and used in extract products such as oils and vapes. It's all hands on deck as we tackle this next challenge here at Speakeasy. And as anticipated, everyone is pulled together, making an extremely difficult process seem easy, says Gein. As always, I am so proud of our dedicated group of talented, hardworking employees. Without them, we would have nothing but a bunch of good ideas. Speakeasy owns 290 acres of land in Rock Creek. The company also cultivates small-batch, high-quality craft cannabis in its 10,000-square-foot indoor facility. And to add just a little bit to the Okanagan Z story, this is what I heard on the radio just a few minutes ago that they are now one of the largest employers in the Rock Creek area and have about 30 employees. Good on you. It is so fabulous to hear about Canadian companies that are doing well, and I can't wait until their cannabis makes its way into the market and we can all get a taste of that speakeasy cannabis. I am happy to have with me today a fellow who contacted me through email. And as always, you know that I love hearing from listeners. And I was especially intrigued about this one because uh, Mike Timms is his name, and he raised the subject of never hearing anything on the podcast about the industry, what's happening from the industry's perspective with legalization. And 
I was thrilled to get the email, thrilled to have the conversation about that. So let me give you a bit of background on Mike. He's been in the industry basically since legalization, started as a manufacturing associate with Aurora, transferred to a leadership role in their concentrates division. Uh, That was pretty well right after our 2.0 hit. He is now a certified hydrocarbon extractor and has now chosen a slightly different path. In fact, Mike is the production supervisor for Premium 5, one of the largest cannabis concentrate suppliers in Canada. I have just become aware of Premium 5. We started bringing into the store. So, Mike, welcome to the Cannabis Podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Gary. I'm I'm definitely excited to uh, to be here to share some information about uh, the cannabis manufacturing world and hopefully dispel a few myths that I've heard floating around. Well, and that's just it. There are so many myths out there, and and dispelling some of those is uh, what I'm trying to do. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Not other than the fact that I like to smoke a lot of cannabis and talk about it. <laughs> uh, dispelling some of those myths is also pretty cool. Give me a sense of of your background. I'm interested in your background from two perspectives. One, as a cannabis user, and two, in terms of uh, what your role in the in the cannabis uh, legal uh, production world is. Yeah, for sure. So my my history with cannabis is uh, is actually it's very on and off. Um, I, I did what what most kids uh, did, and I, I did some experimentation in high school, and didn't at the time didn't really find a, a use for it or a, a, an enjoyment for it. But uh, as of lately, since since legalization and getting into the industry myself, I, I've I have started to pick it up a bit as a user and and have gotten into it because I feel that if you're going to work with something, you should probably know at least uh, what you're what you're working with and have the experience behind it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. What got you so interested in working in the industry itself? What was your fascination there? Well, it's uh, it all started back when um, Aurora first built their uh, their Sky f- facility um, in just south of Edmonton, and I was actually on a construction crew that that built the building. So I watched the entire building go up. I saw all the all of the automations that they were putting in, all of the advanced equipment that they were using, and it really got me intrigued. And so I figured I'm already on, I'm already here. I'm already building it. I might as well apply and see what happens. And the rest is history. <laughs> well, very cool, Mike. That, that, that's very cool. Everybody has their, their path that, yeah. that takes them to where they are, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and they all have deviations to it. Yep. So one of the things you brought up was the fact that you didn't think that there was an understanding, uh, and there certainly isn't from my perspective, of what happens on the production floor in the cannabis world? Like, like what kind of challenges are LPs facing in, in delivering product for this world? And, and I think that's a, that's another place where I'd kind of like to start. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, it's definitely a world that not very many people know about or know that much about as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. It's for myself, uh, it was very eye opening, uh, getting into it and really, understanding what it takes to produce anything really and anything in the manufacturing world. Yeah. At scale. Yeah. Especially at scale. There's a, there's a lot of um, internal regulations as well as making sure that everything is health Canada certified and stays to health Canada standards. There's a, there's a lot that goes into that in and of itself, because I know, especially at Aurora, we, we even held ourselves to a higher standard than the health Canada standard. Uh, so f- falling within that while still maintaining the the production necessary to to feed the demand of the entire country 
is is a challenge in and of itself. And when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of units a day, there there's always going to be things that slip through the cracks or things that don't that, that get missed. So I'm fascinated working in the industry and seeing how much cannabis moves through our store and and realizing that you know we're just one piece of that puzzle. I'm astounded at, at how much cannabis is being produced to scale. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mind-blowing. It is. Uh, when you even look at at Aurora's facility there, the scale that they've got themselves at, the, the facility is 800,000 square feet with 16 fully functional grow bays. <laughs> they can they can output massive amounts of cannabis per year. Wow. There's there's people that always say, "Oh, I I saw you know, three ounces of, of cannabis here, three ounces there. I've held entire kilos in my hands. Yeah. And that's something that I know not a lot of people can say that they've done. No, no, it's true. And, and that is a pretty, that is a pretty exciting yeah. <laughs> feeling to hold that in your hand. And the first time <laughs> that, that that ever happened is when it really hit home of the type of operation that was running and the type of um, things that could be accomplished through legalization. And that's what got me even more excited to continue in the industry and to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's just fascinating. So what are some of the challenges on the production floor that that people like myself who know just a consumer of the product have no idea? Yeah. So one of the, uh, the biggest things, um, one of the biggest issues that we've had uh, is, is uh, the, the weights of the cannabis within within the bottles okay yeah i've i've experienced that myself as as, as you may be aware i i've talked about that a few times on the on the podcast yeah and that's that's one of the biggest things uh that you, there's obviously some individuals that that really take that to heart and and say hey i i, I bought three and a half grams and there's only 3.47 or 3.45 but uh, the biggest thing about that is health canada in and of itself allows a 10% tolerance on weight plus or minus. And, and do they allow the same tolerance on other, on other drugs or is it just on cannabis? Are you I'm not a hundred percent sure about, uh, about other drugs. Um, I know the, the, the cannabis one is, is something that I think is still going to be refined further to kind of match up with other pharmaceuticals. I, I bet. I wonder if they have that same, uh, allowance tolerance in, in alcohol in terms of the alcohol volume. Yeah, that again, I'm not sure. Uh, also, you have to take into consideration with alcohol as well. The the industry has been around a lot longer and they've had a lot more time to refine their manufacturing processes. Yeah. And that's looking at where cannabis is. We're we're very young. Oh boy, you got that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at this point, we're we're trying to to piece parts together from other industries that mm -hmm. could potentially work in cannabis and seeing it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, exactly. Like for example, uh, a guy I interviewed uh, some time ago, James Seabrook, he's one of the uh, leaders at uh, Vitalis, which is of course a manufacturer of extraction equipment. Mm -hmm. And and he brought his expertise from the oil and gas industry dealing with pressurization and and all of those factors and brought that into the cannabis world to your point of, you know, there's there's so much mixing of of people's expertise across industries. Exactly. And it's, it's finding ways to, to try and make those uh, particular skills viable within the industry. Uh, looking at uh, concentrates specifically, there is a long history 
of manufacturing different uh, extracts, mainly in food products, vanilla, uh, mint, whatever it would be. But cannabis is obviously a little trickier when it comes to that. So you, you were bringing you, a lot of the a lot of the companies are bringing in these these extraction professionals from other food industries and attempting to to make that work within cannabis. Okay, and that really does lead to a lot of interesting uh, experimental uh, processes. And I, I bet it does. Give me an example of one. Um, there, we've, we've done some very interesting things when, when we were developing, uh, the, the, the concentrates with Aurora, um, without going into too much detail, cause there, there are NDAs and such. Of course. Um, no, don't want to break any of those. So we, we would do, we would do mixtures of, um, black market techniques with, uh, food extraction techniques and seeing what kind of reaction we would get from the cannabis and based on the the professionals that we brought in from the from the black market as well as the food industry and right some of the products that came out of that were quite interesting and some of them were quite uninteresting <laughs> i i bet and when you refer to those two industries which are the extraction methods that each of those industries is is bringing to the table it it really is a a, a perfect amalgamation in in my opinion uh, there's a lot of companies now uh, that are really focusing on cannabis extraction equipment and closed loop hydrocarbon extractions. Right, and that a lot of that we get, we've gotten a lot of guidance from the food industry. Not so much with the the hydrocarbons, but closed loop extractions. There's a lot of uh, CO2 extraction that's happening. Right, and that's where you get a lot of the uh, the food industry is in the actual extraction process. But after that, there's a very long and arduous, uh, post-processing, which will then determine which product you get out of, out of your, your hash oils. For those that are listening, give us just a few examples of, of what those different end products could be from that first extraction. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, initially it depends on what type of hydrocarbons you're using. So in, we'll use for an example, uh, butane hash oil or BHOs. Those, uh, most commonly get made into either live resins or batters. Um, you can also really cook it for a while and you end up with, uh, some diamonds, some caviar. So there's a, there's a lot of different, uh, end possibilities from that post-processing. Yeah, it certainly are. And, and, and the, the caviar is basically terp sauce. And, yeah. And, yeah. And it's CHCA diamonds. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's a mix between the two elements. Uh, it's a reintroduction essentially of the terp sauce back to the diamonds. It, it's astounding what, what's happening with concentrates these days. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just your <laughs> joint out the window anymore. <laughs> no, no, it, it certainly isn't just your joint out the window anymore. It's like, okay, what, am, what the heck am I going to go with before? Are, are with now, I mean, and, and as you mentioned, so the, the live resin and, and the live rosin, you guys have both, I'm, I'm assuming, in, in some of your concentrates? Uh, yeah, the, the uh, I'm, I'm not sure where Aurora has gone since uh, I passed, I uh, parted ways with them. Okay. Um, but I know within uh, within Premium 5, we have uh, 20, 22 different uh, SKUs and different yeah. items. Yeah, we're um, carrying, I think. I think we're carrying almost a dozen right now. Yeah, and we we're currently in uh, mass production for the largest shipment that we will have ever sent uh, to BC. Actually, 
Yeah, that's I you you referenced that in in your email earlier this week. I found that intriguing because I'm sure some of that product is going to end up in in our store. Oh, most so, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I really look forward to to sampling some of that. I know you had you do have some caviar. There's also some THCA diamonds, a couple of uh, hash rosins, and there's a, a bunch more. They, oh, yeah. Check it out. Check out the Premium Five website, and of course, I'll probably post a link so it'll make it easier for people to check out those uh, products. Anyways. To get back to to one thing you mentioned fairly early on in our discussion, Mike, and that's the the Health Canada regulations that you face on the production floor. Give us, again, as naive consumers, give us a sense of of how those Health Canada regulations are impacting the day-to-day operation of the extractions, for example. Yeah, for sure. So the the Health Canada regulations, uh, in my opinion, are very necessary and are very important to to maintaining the, the, the industry itself. Uh, there's still a lot of learning to be done on the side of Health Canada as well as on the side yeah. of LPs. When it comes to the actual production, um, concentrates is a little bit in a little bit of a gray zone right now because it's still uh, fairly fresh after 2.0. We're just coming up on a year, and uh, there's there's been a lot of a lot of ground made in a very short amount of time. So, well, and, and did did not hydrocarbons just become approved by Health Canada recently? Like that that didn't happen at the start of two zero, did it? No, not quite. Um, the for hydrocarbons, there was a it was a whole nother aspect because there's a whole nother safety issue that goes along with that. When you're dealing with massive amounts of highly explosive material, everything has to be to the T by the book. Yes. So making sure that everything follows those proper guidelines was the first major, major challenge with, from any LP that wanted to get into the extraction space. It's, it's not just a throw up a, sp- a throw up a space, gown up and away you go. There was uh, a lot of uh, classification one, division one spaces, which are, it essentially means there can't be any spark of any kind, no electronics, no anything. Sure. Of course. So having that in place, having all of the, that, that was probably the biggest challenge for any LP uh, is, is actually creating the space to do hydrocarbon extractions. Okay. And beyond that, once the, once that's completed, then there is a rigorous testing that goes in for residual solvents, uh, which Health Canada does have a limit, a tolerance for on that as well, which I think we'll also get dialed in. It's currently, if I remember correctly, and don't quote me, I believe it is 10,000 parts per million. We always shot for less than 1,000. That, and that's what I've always heard from people who are doing extraction. They had a lower, as you mentioned before, a lower guide than Health Canada had. Yeah, and that's generally a rule of thumb that I find most LPs are doing is is always bringing their standards above Health Canada because... I think the industry kind of agrees that uh, the Health Canada regulations are a great start, but they're not quite enough. And I know that there will be a lot of uh, production individuals that are now yelling at me, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. You can't hear them because, you know, by the time this is recorded, you know, they're just a figment of, of your imagination. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's definitely a, a struggle trying to balance out and, and learn at the same time, getting out, get meeting the demand of the market as well as making sure it's completely safe for consumers. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's certainly a lot of challenges there. And, and so how can consumers help get 
companies like yours there? What what kind of feedback would help in the loop? And, and is there anything else that we should be doing uh, to help inform the industry? Uh, definitely any any feedback is good feedback, even if it's negative or a complaint or anything like that. Feedback is always necessary and it's always appreciated um, regardless because that only will help us to improve. Right, of course. So any anytime anyone has any feedback for, for any reason, uh, of course, you can contact um, your provincial distributor or uh, you can come back to the LPs if you have any any questions about the product as well. Yeah, and I'm always advising everybody who purchases in our store uh, on every package you get, there is an email address for the company that represents it, and there's a phone number as well. Use them. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. They're there for that purpose. Yeah, and uh, they they get hidden, I guess, because they're in such small font, mm-hmm. and until somebody has a problem, they really don't care. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's good to know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that there is a, an avenue for that information to get through. The premium five website is, is currently in the process of being vamped. And, uh, in there, there's going to be an entire learning section about hydrocarbon extractions, uh, concentrates, BHOs, and it's going to be a whole wealth of information. So. Oh, that's very cool. Because there's there's a bunch of thirsty minds out there yeah. that, that want to know more as these products come to come to market. For sure. Now this this may be a tough question for you, and and I don't mean it to be, but I'm just curious from an industry perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the price of concentrates are going to come down eventually in the country compared to what they currently are, which is in in certainly in our case significantly more than what the black market prices were. Yeah, that's um that's not so much a hard question as much as it is a tricky one. There's uh there's a lot of aspects that go into the the pricing of uh of cannabis products. Um there's a lot of steps in the chain. Okay. Down the line and of course everyone has to make their dollar. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> the the biggest um issue I think is the the regulations of the individual provinces themselves. And that's why you end up with such a large variance in price from province to province. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. The distributors are the ones that in large set the price. Yeah. Um, we as, as an LP have to work with the provinces to ensure that at the end of the day, everyone wins. Okay. And, Sometimes that means we have a little more freedom to to kind of make things more affordable. And sometimes that means that the the particular government entity uh, feels that they need a little bit of a higher margin themselves. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, we certainly feel here in BC. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Buying from the from our competitor <laughs> mm-hmm. in essence. So yep. but that's the way it is. As, as, as you indicate, there's different ways of, it works all across our country. Exactly. The other thing that you mentioned uh, as we began our discussion was debunking some myths. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we haven't covered off in terms of a of a myth that you think really needs to be covered off and, and had some truth put on it? One of the other the other things is the 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 packaging and the labeling. Okay. Uh, I, a lot of people. Uh, it's a very common complaint per se that uh, there's there's a lot of excess packaging. 
Uh, the labels are confusing to read. Yeah, uh, and certainly the uh, – I'm just going to interrupt you for just a moment, Mike. The, the packaging is absolutely the thing we hear the most about in the store. Mm-hmm. We now have people who are making their decisions based on the fact of whether their cannabis is coming in a hard plastic container or it's coming in one of those more flexible envelopes. Mm-hmm. And, and it has been happening more and more now. People are literally making their choice based on what is coming in the envelope rather than the hard plastic containers. So so to your point, please carry on. The biggest challenge when it comes to the packaging is the the amount of information that Health Canada requires for the label. Yes. So there, the, the labeling is uh, probably the one point that, that Health Canada has that is probably, in my opinion, a little bit too much. Um, I, I understand it needs the warning labels and everything. That's fine. But yeah, the, well, the, that and that's a whole other discussion. Those oh, warning labels, yeah, hundred percent. Some of the some of the verbiage in those <laughs> warning labels, yeah, whoa, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, they can be quite aggressive. But uh, the 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 labels themselves, the biggest issue surrounding them is Health Canada actually has guidelines for the size of the font, the uh, the type of font, the spacing of the font. Of course. So at that point, you're now all of a sudden. You have a, a one gram of concentrate, and you have to put it in a container that'll fit. That'll fit the, that font. All of that font. <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, the LPs' hands are really tied to to what packaging they're using. There's constantly um, looking for alternative packaging methods, like uh, potentially hemp or some yeah. other form of renewable. But for the for the time being, there there just there really isn't much that can be done about it. I you know I hadn't thought of it from that perspective before. I mean, we have lots of different concentrates in in all kinds of different containers, and I never realized that the size of the container was somewhat dependent on the label that had to be provided and the associated font. So, thanks for giving me that myth busting. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the ones that that always kind of grinded my gears being in the, yeah, in the packaging departments. <laughs> so has the industry turned out to be what you'd hoped in your, in your new position? Are you, are you enjoying it? Are you having fun? Uh, I, it's, it's not what I expected. <laughs> I don't think uh, anyone expects this industry as, as to be what it is. Even yeah. if you come from a manufacturing background, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. And personally, I, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Oh, good for you. It's it's a great time for me. Um, I, I'm enjoying what I do. I enjoy growing with the industry and constantly having to be on my toes with the the latest and greatest thing. Well, well, you know what time it is now. What time is it, Gary? It's time for my hot seat questions. Oh, and I'm ready. I, I think you're ready. None <laughs> of them are, are, are too terribly difficult, and and surprisingly enough, they all revolve around cannabis. So, huh. Weird. We'll see where we go from there. <laughs> so your favorite cultivar, Mike? Ha! Huh, right now, um, I would have to say that it would be any any uh, strain crossed with tangies. The tangies really, really have me right now. But I also do have another uh, another cultivar right now, uh, Colombian Gold. Ah, that's, that's been popping up a lot lately too. I haven't had a sample of that. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's it's very uh, very nutty. Okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to getting a getting a sample of that. So, do you prefer joints or vape? Uh, personally, I, I it's joints for me. 
Okay. Um, I, I do have a vape and I'm trying to, trying to get into it. Um, and, and when it, do you have, uh, is that a dry herb vaporizer or yes. a vape pen? A dry herb. Yeah. Okay, well done. So I, and that's because I, as I'm getting into this, I, I tend to be more of a connoisseur of things. I, I was a, a beer connoisseur for many, okay. many years. So you have a background in, in that. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So I, thinking about it now that, again, now that I'm in concentrates, the, the, the world of terpenes has become so prevalent. And, that, and what a world. <laughs> oh, what a world. Holy. <laughs> they are our future. Yeah. hundred percent. The more and more we all understand, and especially the LPs and in those extractions and, you know, pulling out all those terpenes and in that caviar and mm, mm -hmm. mm, delicious. And speaking of delicious, what would be your favorite munchie? Huh? Personally, it's, it's gotta be M&M peanuts. Oh, okay. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Uh, do you prefer edibles or flour? Uh, flour. Personally, I've, I've, uh, had some very negative experiences with edibles, but that was my own <laughs> fault and my own doing. As many have. I mean, yeah. Let me guess. You, you took some and it didn't work after an hour and a half. You took some more. and uh, Quite the opposite, actually. Oh, okay. Well, well, why don't you tell me about this? I had a, a roommate that uh, had made brownies and mm. uh, she, she came to me and said, here, would you, would you like a, a special brownie? I was like, sure. Yeah, that's great. And she said, well, only eat half. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. So I had the half. And then later on, she proceeded to tell me, yeah, there's, uh, there's about a full ounce in this four by four pan. <laughs> that was not a, not a fun time. <laughs> yeah. So you had a bit of a green out before the night before? Oh, you? very much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've experienced that and they are not fun. <laughs> nope. Yeah. It, that kind of turned me off of edibles as well. So <laughs> I'm more of a flower guy too. Yeah. So now, now the, next, the last couple of questions are all related to verbiage. I've always been fascinated with how the verbiage changes across our country mm -hmm. when we're talking about the same thing. So do you have a particular name for a running joint, a joint that's burning on you? Uh, not really. I mean, if anything, okay. we just call it a runner. Yeah, see, well, there you go. So that, that's what it is. Canoe is the most popular answer uh, to that. Huh. Um, and uh, a white rabbit. It's the other one. A white oh. rabbit came out of Quebec. Yeah. And out of Quebec, uh, um, when they're talking about an eighth, as we call it here in BC, they say a three and a half. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular term that you use or, or the people you know use to refer to that same uh, amount of cannabis? Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I've always called it an eight piece. An eight piece out there. See, thank you, Mike. You've introduced <laughs> a new term. <laughs> That's the first time I have heard the eight piece. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and where what, where are you from? Uh, I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. Okay. So so that's a, I would call that uh, the way that you refer to an eighth in Alberta as an eight piece. Uh, yeah. I can't say for sure for everywhere, but myself for sure. <laughs> well, that's very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> that's a fabulous way to end, end our conversation too. Yeah. I, I, I had a good time. Well, thank you very much, sir. You enjoy the rest of your night, and I really appreciate you taking time to be on the Cannabis Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is the Cannabis Podcast. When I first started the Cannabis Podcast, one of the reasons that I did it was I had been a longtime proponent of cannabis. It had been in my life for, well, almost 50 years at the time, and it was a big part of my life. 
And I wanted to make a statement that I thought legalization mattered, that legalization was important. And this story kind of relates to why I felt that way. I had some bad luck, shall we say, (laughs) in my younger days with me and cannabis and the law. And this is one of those incidents. At the time, I was working in the interior of British Columbia. Obviously, I was in radio because I think you've figured out that by now if you were a regular listener. And at the time, I was doing a show that went from 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then from 4 to 6. So 3 to 4 was what was called my lunch hour. And here's how I spent that lunch hour. (laughs) Now, if again, if you have listened to the podcast at all, you know that I had a tendency to smoke some cannabis when I was working in radio. Well, this was one of those rare occasions when I did not smoke any cannabis before I went on the radio because... I was currently in the market to find some cannabis. (laughs) And that's what this story is all about. So comes time for my lunch hour. And in this particular town, there was really only a couple of places, one bar and one pool hall that we kind of went all the time when we were looking to find some cannabis. So that's where I went. First of all, I went to the bar, a well-known bar. And as soon as this guy who was, for some reason, being really helpful, and he decided that he wants to help me find some pot. So he's taking me to somebody who's going to be able to get some for me. Uh, we open the bar, the door to this bar, and immediately I see the two narcs that, that were our, and, and for those who don't know, narcotics officers. <laughs> I see them. They're right over there, and, and it's like he's got a flag over top of my head saying, here he is. I'm about to take him somewhere else. Come and get him. Of course, that's how it looks in hindsight. When I was going through the actual event, I had no idea I was being set up. Turns out I was. We left there, went to the pool hall a couple blocks away, and down there's a set of stairs that you go down. Of course, it's a uh, pool hall, deep, dark in the basement, (laughs) and climbed down there. And miraculously, almost as soon as I got to the bottom of the stairs, there was somebody who was willing to sell me a a lid of pot. A lid back then was, I think, about 15 bucks. It was probably about a quarter ounce, something like that. Sure enough, ended up with a lid in my hand, and uh, I see some feet coming down those stairs. And lo and behold, it's those two narcotics officers who were sitting in the pub and and saw me come in and they were finishing up. Well, fortunately, I had enough time to toss the bag before they got to me. I tossed it in the garbage. They did not see me toss it. Uh, So therefore, they couldn't do anything with that particular bag with me. But here's where the stupidity of the moment comes to bear, because I had forgotten that I had a little chunk of hashish in the pocket of my shirt. (laughs) And that's what I got busted for. They took me back to the cop shop uh, with a couple other people. Well, yeah, that's right. They took the guy who turned me in uh, just so they could go through the uh, pretend (laughs) play along that, in fact, you know, he was involved too and he got busted. Yeah, he did not. He was immediately let go. I know he was making a deal by bringing somebody in so he would get a, he was, he was always in trouble. (laughs) So there you go. I ended up again, and now I'm still in my lunch hour. And we are getting close to the time when I am supposed to be back on the air for the next hour. <laughs> and they know it too. They're pushing the line. They're, they're making it take a little bit longer to go through all the paperwork. Finally, at about 10 minutes to four o'clock, they let me out the door with, a, of course, a summons to appear at some point in the future. And I madly rush off to the radio station, get there in time, get the first record started after the news was finished. And I thought, I better let my boss know before anything else happens. So I went into the station manager's office 
uh, who, by the way, was one of the best bosses I ever worked for, just a dear man. And I told him what had happened. And the only thing he ever said to me about it was, you spend your lunch hours in an interesting way. And I really took that to heart. And, and I appreciated that because, of course, then the radio station ran the story at four o'clock in the morning, but the local newspaper didn't. Front page of the paper, local DJ gets busted. <laughs> That's why legalization matters. Because no, nobody, regardless of how old they are, should ever again face a criminal charge for possession of this wonderful plant we call cannabis. And that wraps up another episode. I'm going to likely be doing a cultivar corner on one of the premium five, coincidentally, concentrates that I picked up. And I think we're going to do that. Use my turp pen. And next week or next episode on Cultivar Corner, we're going to have a taste of Maple Burt Live Resin Caviar. Hmm, sounds delicious. And I'm sure it tastes delicious too. Remember, if there's ever anything you would like to comment on, send a note to info at cannabispodcast.com, including any comments on the podcast, a strain perhaps you'd like me to take a look at, or uh, somebody you think that I should interview. And of course, if you want to take a peek at any of the links that were featured on the episode today, you'll find them back at cannabispodcast.com. And that wraps it up for episode 55 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachix Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.